0: Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross
1: and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk
0: freight. All right, episode 155. Welcome back, everybody, to the Freight 360 Podcast. Ben, we got it all today. We got sports, we got a non compete article. We got how to prospect and get new shippers, and we got listener Q&A. It's going to be action-packed, full of everything. But welcome back, everybody. Make sure to check out all of our other content. We're dropping new stuff every single week, blogs, videos, podcasts, newsletters, you name it. Um, And keep referring us to your friends. We're growing, man. I, I was telling you earlier, I had somebody call me up one day, and they're like, Nate, my YouTube star. And I was like, please don't ever call me that. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, hey, we're having fun with it. We're having a good time. What's uh, what's new, man? How you doing?
1: Doing well, man. Can't wait for fall. No, football season's around the corner. Hopefully, some better weather is in store for us down here because I am tired of sweating my ass off every day. You
0: know what? Today, so it's like seventy-five and sunny here today, and I was just I was outside. I had to run to the like county, not the county, the town like tax office to drop off stuff for this. We just moved. And uh, I was walking outside to the door and I was like, it is really nice out today. And I'm like, what's the temperature? And I look at my watch and it's sunny and 75, like Joe Nichols says. But uh, yeah, I, I don't blame you, man. I know uh, <laughs> my wife was, she's like, I think pumpkin spice is out now at all the coffee places. And I'm like, Oh God, it's already fall.
1: Oh, I heard the but, commercial uh,
0: like two days ago from Duncan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Wait, real quick on sports. Preseason is wrapped up. If you guys didn't hear anything about the Bills, uh, the punt god, as he was named, uh, Matt Areza, made headlines for some of the wrong reasons involving misconduct in his college years and was quickly released by the Buffalo Bills. I don't think he'll be seeing a single uh, NFL game the rest of his life. But um, we did sign – uh i think we got a local guy that came from the titans if i read it correctly i don't know if that was official or not yet but uh, that was the talks is that we're going to have a, a veteran punter coming to buffalo that's actually from western new york so um yeah that's i mean we there's no nothing this weekend for football but then next it'll be next thursday yeah next thursday is uh your opening match, my Buffalo Bills against the Super Bowl champions, the L.A. Rams. So, Bills are favored by a couple points there.
1: That's good team. stuff. Some news in golf. Um, Rory won the FedEx Cup, so he won the Tour Championship on Sunday. It was a really good final round, too. I think um, Scotty Scheffler was like four or five strokes ahead um, starting the day, and then um, Rory ended up winning. It. This is his third time, so he's the only person to win the FedEx Cup three times total earnings for this year ended up being like 28 million dollars he had a hell of a year when it was all said and done money-wise imagine if he was in the live league so to that point cameron smith made news this week that he's going to be signing with live um so i mean he's that's the a big kid with the
0: bullet, right
1: yeah he's i mean he's number two ranked golfer in the world and previously the highest ranked golfer live had signed was dustin johnson and he's only like 18th in the world And Cameron just won the British Open, which is like the holy grail of golf. So, I mean, when the guy literally holding the holy that, you know, the uh, my mind just went blank, the Claret Jug, right, is going to be going to play for, you know, the live tour. It's going to be interesting. They actually have a pretty good field now. So did they say what he signed for? No, in fact, I don't even know that he announced it formally. It was all over the news, I think, kind of like this morning and yesterday. But he had said, like, I'll announce it when I announce it. And I, I don't know that, that he – yeah, I yeah. don't know that he formally did or, like, they. he's, like – I can't remember exactly what it was, but it it looks like he's a part of the field and hadn't really formally announced it but will.
0: Well, good luck to him, man. Cam Smith. I didn't even know who that dude was until last year. It's crazy. Yeah. So – well, good stuff. Let's uh, give a shout out to our friends over at DAT, and we're going to hop into it.
1: Yeah, taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, plus you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. With the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of DAT Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge.
0: Definitely. All right. Our article today, and this comes from our friends over at Freight Waves. There's a link in the show notes if you want to read it. It's titled, where is it? TQL's Non-Compete Hurts Ex-Employees Job Prospects Lawsuit Claims. So I want to set the stage here, Ben. Let's go back. 2 years a little over 2 years ago. Pandemic shut down shuts down the just about the entire world. Everything comes to a screeching halt. TQL in their phenomenal fashion decide to lay off 700 or so employees and then serve them like immediately with their non-compete. So it's like, "Hey, we have to let you go because we can't, you know, we're not making any money, but you can't really go work anywhere else. So good luck." Um, So yeah, they got a lot of flack for that. Man, it's just, there's nothing illegal about doing what they did. It's just a a matter of ethics, right? Like, just because something is legal doesn't mean it's moral or ethical. And, uh, you know, like, in my opinion, non-competes, I'm not a huge fan. Non-solicitation, different story, right? Hey, go work. Just don't steal my business, Right. Best of luck to you. Sorry things didn't work out. Just don't steal my, you don't know, don't steal my customers. Um, so here's here's what happens, and I want your take on it. So this guy worked at TQL. It said what fourteen years, right? Yep. He left and went to another transportation company. Got served, I think, with something about a year ago in regards to that from TQL, and then he's looking at taking a job at an insurance company. And like the, basically like the
1: recruiting. It it happened the other way around. Like when I read it, it looks like he went to go get a, yeah, he went to go get a job and was interviewing for a position at an insurance company at USI, one of the largest insurance companies in the country. And it said he was turned down for the job and insurance because I guess.
0: Like general counsel called the insurance company and said it was going to be a bad idea. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad for our relationship. Yeah.
1: Our and, yep. And then it said he then went to go work for an asset-based company because they didn't have a brokerage. And he felt like that wouldn't, com- that wouldn't be a com- competition with TQL because the care actually works with TQL. So he's yeah. going to work with an asset company and had worked there for the past year. But then they added that asset company to the lawsuit and then he resigned or he resigned and then they added them to the lawsuit.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, he, my favorite part about this. So it, this guy's brother is a, is an attorney and that's, who's actually filing the lawsuit, but um, <laughs> I'm just going to read it, read it verbatim. So the freight brokerage, and it's TQL in this case, their overbroad language and the non-compete is so expansive that it would, would prohibit him from even driving for DoorDash <laughs> because it states you can't work for a competing business Defined as any person, firm, corporation, or entity that is engaged in shipping, third-party logistics, freight brokerage, truck brokerage, or supply chain management services in the in the continental United States for one year after leaving TQL.
1: Pretty was, broad, yeah. Here was the line too that we, I just found that you were referring to. So, what the insurance company said um usi headquartered in valhalla new york is one of the largest insurance brokerage and consulting firms in the world however employment talks with patterson ended two weeks later after austin spoke with chris Chris brown tql's general counsel according to court documents austin was told that hiring patterson would hurt usi's business relationship as tql is a 20-year client of usi
0: that's it yeah So like the, the guy that was hiring him, the, like the manager that was was looking to hire him, also was an ex TQL guy. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. Yep. So yeah, they. I mean, that's just that's bullying right there. It wasn't even like they tried to sue him. They like interfered with him trying to go work for an insurance company. It's just so wild.
1: Yeah. I think in.
0: But yeah, I mean, hey, it, that. Uh, I don't know, man. Like I said, the I'll give you an example right now, like some other stupid non-compete things that I've seen. And I'm actually, I was just told a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to be getting subpoenaed in a TQL lawsuit from a previous company that I used to work for. Um, so I'm, yeah, I, you can add that to the, the checkbox uh, or the list, the laundry list of non-compete stupidity that I will have uh, been wrapped up into. But I, I, I literally have uh, a current agent and a prospective agent that both are in a certain a similar situation and it doesn't mean it doesn't look like anything will come of it but in both cases i won't say like the company names or anything but they were previously 1099 independent contractors for a freight brokerage right and with being an being an agent or an independent contractor you really don't have like exclusivity or non-competes stuff like that because you're you're a contractor Um, the funny thing here is they both were being treated like an employee while being classified and paid as a contractor. So like they weren't having taxes paid, employment taxes paid half by the employer. Uh, but they were being told you have to work in this office. You have this goal to hit. You have these hours that you have to be here. So they're being treated like an employee, but they're being paid like a contractor. And then they're you know, trying to be sued like an employee with a non-compete. And it's just, I always tell people a non-compete is more of a scare tactic than anything. It's your, if you want to go and take a customer that you feel is rightfully yours, that's a different conversation. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're just talking about going to work
1: somewhere in, an industry. in the industry. Yes. That's it. It's like going from McDonald's
0: and working at Wendy's or Burger
1: King. Well, and, and here's the other issue that I kind of have with this is like a principle and I get both sides. And again, I've had conversations with, you know, company owners that are like, look, it's very difficult when you're spending a lot of money to train people and then they just go and work somewhere else. Right. And like, I get it. I can get both sides to some degree, but also like, again, there are almost no other industries really where like, let's just say the work environment, like in and, and this example, right. The, the article goes on to say like, he has like four or five kids. He has a young family and his just work life balance was out of whack. He had been a broker for 14 years, and the guy was a senior LAE, which means he was making at least 20K a week in GP to to get that title. So making significant profit goes and takes a more of a salary position. His work-life balance gets worse. I mean, he's been working in the industry 14 years. Clearly, he's pretty good at it, probably very good at it to reach those levels. But like, where he was working wasn't providing the work-life balance. But why should somebody like that have to change careers right, to protect the interests of you know, a multi-billion dollar organization. Like the reality is, is like, he's not really a threat. He wasn't trying to take business. And most people aren't, like you said, they just maybe necessarily want to work in a different environment for a different company. And to not allow people to work in their chosen profession, I feel like is not ethical.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I also, I remember we talked to Trey about this is I'm I'm a big proponent of people Getting experience in different types of organizations throughout their career, I think it's a developmental factor. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, I've worked at every, every, I've worked at a billion dollar plus company and I've worked at a, you know, half a billion dollar company and I've worked for, you know, a $50 million company, right? All, you know, you go from thousands of employees to, you know, less than 50. And then somewhere in the middle there. And it's, it's cool, because you get experience with a lot of the different intricacies that go with those size and scale of businesses. And it just it kind of, it builds you to be a better person, you know, a kind of a better well rounded member of that your team member in that organization. So I'm all about it. I mean, I don't like when I see somebody that like, has four different jobs in the last two years, it's like, okay, were you there long enough to yeah. you know make a positive impact? But if you see somebody making, a, they make a move, you know, seven, eight years apart and they've, you know, it, it's cool because they bring it, they bring something cool to the table.
1: Well, also uh,
0: 14 years and they're like, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. Also, Red
1: DoorDash. It also, if you don't let employees, like the free movement of employees, it also doesn't keep companies honest because one of the right. things in capitalism is you've got to pay a market rate. Otherwise somebody goes somewhere else. Well, if they can't go anywhere else, then you can also pay them whatever you want because they don't have a choice, right? Like, and I feel like that's the other very unethical aspect of some of these, that companies use them to retain employees and also hold their wages low because they know they're not going to come back and go, well, hey, I got a better offer, match this or I go. They just basically eliminate that entire risk and just use the courts to uphold it kind of as a bully. Yeah. That's exactly what it is.
0: Um, What else did it have in here? Let's see. The big big problem with TQL's non-compete is that it's drafted so broadly, everyone knows it's overbroad and won't be enforced as written. And courts have held that it is overbroad and can't be enforced as written. But Ohio, where all the lawsuits take place, has a doctrine that authorizes courts to reform overbroad non-competes. So I mean, dude, they're playing the system. It's it's yeah. wild. Um, and it says like there is no clearly defined line, and then to make matters worse, there's a one way fee shift, one way fee shifting provision in the contract that says if TQL sues under the contract and prevails, the employee is liable for TQL's attorneys' fees. Mm-hmm. So it's like holding a gun to the head of people to expose them to potentially ruinous liability if they guess wrong about how the knock compete will be enforced.
1: Well, that's the hardest part too. Like you and I have both had to deal with these personally. And like the the harder issue is like the document doesn't mean anything. So you have to pay an attorney to have it interpreted. And even that is a gray area based on where and what's going to happen and what precedents are, right? Like, so... You know, the agreement, you should be able to refer to it to know what you can and can't do. But the reality is, is it's written so broad that it really has almost no value. The only value it has is, and you can take it to an attorney and then have to pay up front to find it even interpreted to determine where you're at, even in the scenario, in the system. Yeah.
0: The last thing I want to add, to is if anyone's ever served a cease and desist, that is not you being sued. That is also not a court ordering you to stop working that is an attorney's opinion on a piece of paper stating, yes. "I think that you should stop doing what you're doing." Mm-hmm. But it's a scare tactic, and someone gets Yuck. that and they're like, "Oh my god!" Uh, but that uh, it's serving its purpose if they get at least one person to stop right there. So, and these are it can be very expensive to go back and
1: forth. Absolutely. All right.
0: Well, yeah. What's in other girl? news out- we we've got a new exciting. Um, Thing upcoming here, so we, we, you know, when we talk about vendors and and companies that we endorse and that you know even sponsor us, we take it very very seriously. And, and recently, we're we're adding Blue Book Services to our you know our list of trusted partners. And we're going to have some folks coming on over the next um, you know three or four months here to talk a lot about produce and um, Blue Books. Uh, you know all, all the all the cool stuff that it can do to help you prospect and check credit and you know all that good stuff there um, so blue book is a, a new sponsor of the show here and um, you know like I, like I said before we would never ever endorse a company or a service if we didn't truly believe in it. And I, I could tell you we use bluebook at Pierce we do have a lot for uh, credit reporting credit vetting um You can use it for prospecting leads and stuff like that. So without further ado, let me give a shout out to our friends over at Blue Book. Blue Book Services is the resource you need if you're transporting fresh produce. Their online database contains thousands of companies throughout the produce industry's supply chain. You can easily search their database to generate new sales leads. Blue Book's credit ratings help you avoid companies with high credit risk. And their team can help resolve disputed loads. To learn more, go to producebluebook.com and click Join Today. That's produce bluebook.com. More to come with exciting stuff from uh, from Blue Book there. So I'm excited for that. There's a lot of really cool stuff. And we we haven't had a lot of content that's produce centric, and that'll be helpful mm-hmm. to have some experts on.
1: Absolutely. And especially when everybody's looking for new prospects and higher margin loads. I mean, this is a great place to look. There's a lot of free resources on there, free resources on there as well. Give you some great information on commodities and just what's going on in the produce industry and what commodities are coming into season and what you should prospect. So even if you're not looking to sign up or you're looking for some things to prospect and some industry news, they've got a great newsletter that you can sign up for in there as well.
0: Yeah, it's good. It comes out, I think twice a day, or at least once a day. I think it's twice a day. And keep in mind too, if you sign up for for produce blue book, we're not making money off of it. We're just, we endorse their, their services. Yeah. And, and I can tell you, I, I personally use it at uh, Pierce and, it's a great tool. And then, you know, they got all different options too, based on if you're one, you know, a one person show versus a larger organization. So good stuff. Um, all right. Today's topic this came from a, a listener question, but we get a lot of these similar ones. So I just wanted, we wanted to give a deep dive on it. It is, uh, how do I find shippers and close them as a new broker? Um, probably the number one, I would say, it's, if you generalized our questions, that's probably the number one question. How do I get customers? Yep. Okay. So I guess, you know, we can kind of take this through a few different steps. Um, we're going to assume that you already have a general level of knowledge of freight brokerage because it's really not smart to go out there and try to prospect new business if you don't understand the industry that you're working in. So we'll, let's assume you're trained and you understand this industry. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to go through like a, a kind of the process and then we can break it down and analyze each part. But you've got to gather a you have to get a list of leads then you have to contact these leads and then you go through a series of follow-ups until you can then convert this lead to a customer and then your goal is to grow that customer relationship and continue to add more customers to it is that that's pretty it's a pretty uh generalized process there right in a nutshell okay so let's start at the beginning right um where do you where do you find prospects? What kind of prospects should you do? Best practices. I want to also if you if you guys are fairly newer to Freight three hundred and sixty, I think it's episode seventy seven, right? Prospecting with a purpose. Very very good topic there. That'll break down the um, what we call it like pooling together your leads, right? Um, so check that out if you want a, a deep dive into that part of prospecting. But so where can you gather leads from and uh, what are some of the best practices? I would tell you to try and start with a niche or a certain area of the market, right? It could be commodity-based. It could be geographically based. But it shouldn't just be like, hey, let me get a steel shipper from uh, Pennsylvania and then an uh, onion farm out in uh, Idaho and then an apple farm in Washington and a freight forwarder in LA and then uh, you know a warehouse in Laredo, Texas. You don't want to just be all over the place. The goal is to have a similar group or, you know, some kind of a genre that you're going to try to find leads from. So maybe all open deck stuff or all fresh food or, you know, fill in the blank. Yep.
1: And I think we'll go in a little bit deeper in the group. I want to go through some places where we can find them. In fact, I'm going to pull these, Nate, right off of the class we teach for the TIA. Um on how to find shippers where we've got the bullet points in there. So first one, we've got everyday items, meaning the grocery store, your house, what you drive past, literally looking around you, right? At just the things and like looking at how they ship, right? I mean, everything in your house has likely got to where it was on a truck at some point or another, right? From your computer to your desk, to the refrigerator in here, this couch, that TV, Everything in in your office,
0: right? And what I love about this, you know, it's not even just oh, I have a a can of Pepsi in front of me, only a prospect Pepsi. It's it gets your brain thinking like oh, I have a can of Diet Pepsi in front of me. That's food and beverage, right? That could be bottled water, that could be beer, that could be liquor, that could be pop or soda or Coke, whatever you call it, depending on where you live in the country. Uh, It could be all kinds of stuff. Like I've got an agent right now that she does. Beer. She does like uh, sparkling water. She's in that beverage and uh, you know that whole industry, and she's really good at it because you end up using a lot of the same um, types of carriers, and you're on a lot of mm-hmm. the same similar lanes, and there are same a lot of the, the same, same
1: procedures, exactly. same loading requirements. They tend to have similarities, right? Yep. Um,
0: you, maybe it's food. Maybe you you think, yeah. oh, I have a salad in front of me. You're like, oh, there's lettuce, there's carrots, and you start thinking about all this different produce and stuff in there. And that'll give you an idea. It just gets you thinking.
1: Yep. And again, just walking around, we used to do this again, to just get other ideas, to get your mind around it, to just start just finding different things to talk about again, like just walking to the grocery store, taking pictures of the labels, just going and researching them and giving them a call, right. can be as simple as that. Um, The thing we talked about in prospecting with a purpose is finding something that interests you because again, your prospecting calls, you're primarily going to be asking questions. Pick something you want to learn about that you want to understand more about, right? Maybe it's your hobby is playing hockey, right? I don't know. Start prospecting people that manufacture hockey skates and the wheels for hockey skates and hockey sticks and the people that manufacture the tape for hockey sticks and pucks and the gear and all of that stuff, right? And almost any interest you have, there is likely something you can prospect and go towards. Yeah.
0: So like think about, I'll give you two examples. Think about somebody that absolutely loves like you said, hockey, right? And they start looking at the raw materials that are used to make the skates. They look at, um, you know, who makes the laces, or actually, you know, the it could be the ch- the actual companies that ship or handle the the transportation for some of these retail outlets or some of these big companies, right? They're going to love it. They're going to be passionate about it, and they're not going to be pissed off if they have a bad phone call because they're like, hey, I, I I got to talk to somebody that works in this in this area of the market that I'm I'm really passionate about. So now I'll think about somebody else. Let's say you have somebody that is um, very like green. They want all electric vehicles and s- renewable energy and they are anti-fracking. Don't go prospecting oil pipe and like fracking type stuff because it's not it's not going to yes. interest you. The polar opposites, but that just, it just kind of breaks it down Barney style of the two different scenarios. You should pick something that you like.
1: Right. I mean, I I knew somebody one time that like, They were playing beer pong over the weekend. You work with a lot of kids that are just out of college, right? They went and started prospecting the companies that manufacture the cups for beer pong. One of the accounts turned into like a few million dollars a year just shipping the cups that people use in beer pong, right? Solo cups and all that. Look at that. it, It doesn't have to be like some high level, super expensive piece of equipment like most things ship on a truck, right? And again, you're never going to be able to determine whether or not it is a good prospect until you ask the questions and have the conversations. The one thing I want to point out is it is impossible to find the right leads before you have the conversation. I can't tell you how many people I work with, we have as clients or that we talk to that are like, well, I'm just going to spend more time on better calls. Like That's not possible. I know everybody only wants to call 10 to 20 people that they're actually going to have a good conversation with every day. But the reality is, is you're going to have to call hundreds to get a handful to even answer. You cannot well, just say, call the better customers. I will say as a caveat, you will get more efficient
0: as you get, you know, as you get more experience on your belt. You'll know, you'll see a certain customer. You'll be like, I'm probably not going to spend my time on this one because I'm, I know these other four companies that are in the similar space. And. They don't operate the way that would be a good fit for our company, right? Yeah. Um, so you, I think and you'll get better on your – you'll be more efficient with your, your asking of questions and your personality will get more – feel more natural and you'll get – just have better calls overall. And that comes with time. But yeah, to
1: your point, you can't just do 10x Call more research good and eliminate 90% of the bad leads doesn't work that way. And I like the analogy, right? Like prospecting. I always have this visual in my head of like this cartoon prospector from like the 1800s with like a pick going up into the mountains to literally dig for gold, like a prospector, right? Guess what? The phone call and the conversations... Are the equivalent of digging a hole to see if there's gold. You can't just walk around and just dig where the gold is. You've got to dig until you find the gold. That is the act of prospecting. That's why it's called that. That's your questions. They are your shovel, they're your pick. That's what's going to tell you whether or not there's something valuable below the surface. Exactly.
0: And, but, you know, two, three, four years down the road, when you've been doing it a while, you'll be able to swing that pick a little bit better and break through the rubble a lot faster. Um, but yeah, you, st- you still have to go
1: through the same hmm. general process. What else we got on the list? We got databases. So you've got Hoover's Chamber of Commerce, Produce Blue Book, Zoom Info, um, Also, Reference USA, and I know that's changed, and I keep calling it what it used to be, but if you go through...
0: If you look look it up, it'll show you the new name. I forget what
1: it is, too. But if you go through your local library and you look up, like, I think it's either databases or, like, resources. If you've got a local library card, you can get to it, and it's a free version. It's similar to Hoover's, and it will give you every company under every SIC and NAICS codes. Those are the codes that are used to classify companies, and what that helps you do is... It also helps you understand, like to your point, if you are later in your career and you've been in this a few years, you know which commodities tend to be a good fit for your company, what you ship and what you're good at. If you've got a few customers that are very profitable, find out their NAICS, which is the North American Industry Classification System. You find that number, there's one associated with every company type, and then throw it into these systems. You will then find every other company in North America that is classified the same as the customer that you're shipping with, that you're making money with. So yep. you can go deeper into these niches without having to randomly search companies in Google. It's a great tool.
0: I like the um, like trade show list too. So like if there's a – or even like association list. So um, I went to a the National Association of Small Trucking Companies like, I don't know, eight years ago or something like that. And what they did is every single vendor that was there, whether they were a motor carrier, a freight broker, a shipper, uh, a service provider of some sort, they have this list compiled. And you can get, you know, you get that list. Like sometimes it's published. Sometimes you ha- only get it if you go to the trade show. But that gives you literally just, you know, maybe it's, maybe you find like the top 75 or the, you know, 75 Apple wood up farms in the Northwest, right? And they're going to be in some association.
1: boom right? They're all on a list. You just got 75 leads right there. So Those are great. Yeah. And I want to point out, so for all of our listeners out there that are working at larger brokerages, it's just more easy to see this in a bigger company. But if you got one of these lists, we would always pull up like the trade show list, right? Or exactly what you're talking about. Let's say there's 50 companies on there. If the first 25 on there are all active customers, that doesn't mean it's a bad list. It means it's a good list. Because again, if most of the people on your list are already working with your customer, that's telling you it's a good fit for your organization. Yep. So don't get discouraged. Keep going because the 26th, the 27th, the 28th are all your potential customers. Again, you don't want to stop before you dig deep enough. You don't want to be digging 30 inches down and the goal be 36 inches. Go a little bit farther. Push a little bit farther before you give up. Yep. What else? What else? Um, I'm going to kind of round the last two or three out. So we've got Google, which is, you know, finding companies, contact info, addresses, websites. I think kind of everyone knows how to use search engines at this point. Um, websites that kind of do some basic info to get some gauge on maybe volume or kind of what they're doing. But again, I would caution that you don't want to be looking at every company's website every time you make a phone call because all of these things add up. And we'll talk about this in a minute, the grouping together you referred to a minute ago, but... The reality is, is if you take a minute and a half to two minutes to look at a company website every time you make a phone call, and you're going to expect to make seventy-five to eighty phone calls a day, right? That is like two to three hours a day you're spending looking at websites of companies with people you didn't that didn't answer the phone. So you're spending a tremendous amount of time and not getting a return on that investment. Yes, you've got well, to know see, a general
0: idea, but what well, I like. Effective ways to use websites, if a company, let's say a freight forwarder has 60 branches, use their website to find out the contact info for all 60 branches to prospect yes. that way. It's efficient. Another one, if, you're, if, you're, if you use a website to find out who their customers are, who their suppliers or vendors are, and those are potential leads, it's a great way to collect a, a, you know, a couple dozen real quick. But yeah, to your point. that's the paralysis analysis or whatever it's called if you spend too much time trying to get all the information that you don't really need before you pick up the phone and dial that number.
1: Yep. Um, last one, LinkedIn. It's going to help you identify the positions within the company you're prospecting, the titles, and some names. Um, having a name makes it much easier to get through a gatekeeper or to get somebody to be receptive on the other end than calling and asking for that person. Because let again, me ask you
0: this so I, I see, as I always, say, we, we run probably the largest, most active Facebook group for freight brokers that's out there today and we you know we've done a good job at cleaning it up with spam but i see i've seen a lot of people try like advertising selling a uh, a shipper list what are your thoughts on a shipper list
1: well i would ask a rhetorical question would you ever want to call through the exact same list that somebody else is calling
0: well i my whole my whole thing on is it's it's not going to be an effective tool but i think if you're looking for places to strike out but get your get in the rhythm of making calls It's probably a great way to get used to rejection.
1: It is. And if you haven't made any calls yet and you can get one for free and you've got names and phone numbers, it is a great place to start. Because I mean, I think honestly, if you've not done this job at all, even if you've done sales before, your first 500 calls are garbage. I'd say your first thousand, maybe your second 500, you're getting close to your voice, but your first 500 to a thousand phone calls are just practice. It's learning how to ride a bike the first time. You're going to keep falling off and scraping your knees until you find and really start to understand what you're doing. And again, I mean, if you're making 80 calls a day, even 100 round numbers, that's only like 10 days of phone calls before you're hitting 500. So you're not even like two thirds of the way through your first month in this job. And you should really be putting up numbers that are close to that. So it's not as long of a time as you think it is.
0: Think about when you've gotten random calls made to you before, you can smell out right away a brand new unseasoned salesperson, phone salesperson. And then I've had like, and I'm like, oh, this is so annoying. I I, I try not to hang up, but I just try to get them off the phone as fast as possible because it's just, it's not an enjoyable call and I don't really want to hear what they have to say. But I've had people just cold call me for random stuff. It it might be like a, a tech vendor that wants to sell or brokerage something or whatever. And there's some of these sales reps that are so good that they make it enjoyable to have a conversation with them. Even if you're not a good fit for them, they just they get that over time and experience by just knowing how to talk to people. And you Absolutely. have to get those bad ones out of the way before you can become that
1: really good sales rep. 100%. So let's talk a little bit about closing shippers and what we were referring to earlier, right? Grouping and best practices and what you can do to increase the likelihood or the percentage of people you're calling that you actually close, right? The first one you pointed out, I think, is huge. And in fact, I'm going to start by saying what you shouldn't do before we're going to talk about what you should do. What you shouldn't do is search around the internet to find a company, read about the company, and then make a phone call and then start the whole process over again. Right. Because again, one, you're not really getting any better at any one of the specific things. You will over a very long period of time. But if you look at anything you learn, we learn through repetition, right? If you're doing 10 things all together, it'll take you a very long time to get good at all 10 of those things. But if you just do one thing for two hours, you will get better and fall into a rhythm in that two hours. You will hear different things. You will say different things. You'll get improvement on that one activity. So lead generation is its own skill set, its own task. It is not the same as prospecting, making the phone calls, right? Two different jobs. They should be done at two separate points of time. And that's how you get into a better rhythm. And you really just improve on both of those skills. When you're just doing lead research and just adding things to your CRM, you get very good at researching where to find things, how to find companies that are similar, how to find other companies in the same market that are related to it, right? You get better at that. Same with prospecting. If you're picking up the phone or swinging a hammer over and over again, you get very good at hitting a nail if you're doing it a hundred times in a row.
0: Yeah. I'm going to give you an example. I was thinking thinking about this like two weeks ago. So we just moved in this, this house and we wanted to change out some of the hardware. So like door hinges, for example, there was like some old Beat up gold ones, and we just wanted like a new matte black finish. So, mm-hmm. um, at first, I was like, I open up a package, I unscrew everything, screw the next one in, and then I open up another package, and I was like, man, this is taking forever. Then I was like, hold on, let me open up all the packages. It's not where they have to go. Put all the screws re- in a bucket, drilling and all the redrilling, and dude, yeah. I hammered it out in like seventy-five hinges in like I don't know an hour, an hour and a half, uh, because you start. Doing things repetitively instead of one after another, then repeat the cycle.
1: So it's so funny. Um, like that's really where that I learned that was I my dad was a painter, right? Painted houses and commercial buildings. And when I was in high school and in college, I went and painted door frames and doors and had to hang doors like that for like hours on end. And like when you do one at a time, it takes forever and you don't get very good at it. But like when you take all of the doors off. Take all of the hinges off as the next set, then sand all of the doors, then paint. Oh, you get very good and they get done much faster rather than take one door off, take all the hinges off, sand it again, Yeah. group them together. You'll get much better at it Yep. and you'll get much better at it faster, right?
0: Now let's talk about the um, batching your calls, right? So now we're, we're, we're past lead gen. Now we're into your prospecting, your actual dialing time. We recommend grouping or batching your, your calls into sli- like or similar types of uh, prospects, right? So maybe it's all lumber companies. Maybe it's all steel companies. Maybe it's all uh, potato shippers or it's all freight forwarders or whatever, right? Then the re- Or it could be, I'm going to hit up building materials in the Southeast, or I'm going to look up generic produce in the Northwest, right? And the reason that we recommend this is they all have things in common and you'll learn from each call, each good call, something to add to the the later calls. And you're in the, you're in the same mindset when you're talking about a bunch of uh, produce shippers in a certain region, guess what they have in common? They have the same seasonality as each other. Whereas if you call, you know, a, an avocado place in, down by the Mexican border and one that's further up North, they ship at different times of the year, right? So same thing with like potatoes or cabbage, or you know, you name it, right? They, they have different things. So you want the ones that are that have things in common to all be grouped together. So like, for example, if there's some, if it's a, a, a commodity that gets imported and they all have the same tariff impact or the same supply chain uh, bottleneck impact over the last couple of years, Those are going to all. They're going to have very similar problems, very similar needs, and you're going to learn from one person's experience or issue uh, something that you could then apply to a a, you know a call later in the day. So I I, I absolutely love the batching grouping
1: concept. And they also have similar issues too, right? And to give you to give our listeners kind of an example on how you use this, right? Like, let's say you have no customers. And let's say your first phone call is with ABC Pipe Supply and Jimmy, you're talking to Jimmy and he's like, yeah, you know, everything's been pretty well, but I've had a really tough time, you know, getting our pipe out to Odessa. I haven't had a lot of drivers available willing to get out there. So if you got somebody, let us know. Um, okay, great. Maybe we don't get on board. But I learned what the, one of this guy's issue is, right? Now, the next call, maybe an hour later, Cindy at, you know, CBA Pipe Supply Answers just outside of Houston talking a little bit. Hey, Cindy, just curious. Are you guys running into any issues? I know I was talking to Jimmy over at ABC and they've been having a tough time getting trucks out to Odessa. Are you guys running into the same issue? Now, the second person I talked to is going to assume that Jimmy's my customer, is going to assume that I'm moving loads to Odessa, is going to assume all of these things and infer all these things from like one little tidbit I got from my prospecting call. So like, I seem way more involved in their industry. It almost as if like I'm working with somebody they already know because they may have heard of that company. I'm using names. It's a competitor. Now they're thinking, well, hey, maybe this guy, if he knows my niche and he really is working on our market, maybe this guy can help us, right? It adds credibility. And again, that's why you're able to build on your conversations and use this information on later calls. And then the same thing the next day, right? So maybe you might not prospect that same commodity for two or three days later. But if you've got two or three good conversations where you've learned one thing, those are three anecdotes or stories you can use in your prospecting calls later that week, right? So you yep. are becoming more valuable. You're becoming, you're adding more value to the conversations and you're becoming more of a consultant and less than just a truck on the other end of the phone.
0: Absolutely. And some other, I, I want to add in some tips here because I know we don't have, we don't we don't have all day to go through everything when it comes to this, but, um, follow up. I want to, I want to stress follow up. So if you have, if if you can end a conversation with something that you have a reason to call them back for, like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to quote this for you, or I'm going to see, you know, I don't know anything, right. Get that locked down before the call ends. So you're, Prospect, you have a reason to give them a call back and not just, hey, I'm going to call back to check in. Also, have some kind of way to schedule on your end a reminder for that follow up call or that follow up email or whatever it might be, right? Using your CRM effectively. Um, it could be a few days, right? It could be the next day. Uh, if you get a voicemail, you know, don't just wait two months and call them back then. Call them back two days later or the next day. Uh, you know, but it's extremely important to make sure that you have a systematic method. And some kind of, I don't want to call it a science, but you have some kind of organization behind your follow-up methods and the reason for your follow-up. You have anything you want to add on the follow-up stuff?
1: No, other than just to give some, some expectations. I mean, expect in the market we're in right now, expect it to be different than it was during the entire pandemic. If you came into the industry in the middle of the pandemic, the market we're in now is more of a traditional market than what it was then. So expect it to take longer to build a relationship expect to have to make more phone calls to get people to talk to you because from the shippers point of view, they don't have as urgent of a need as they did in the market that was during the pandemic. It was much harder to find trucks. So again, expectations expect to talk to a prospect between eight to probably 15 times over a period of two to three months before you've quoted enough lanes that you're winning a load here or there, or that you've been onboarded or that you've got enough of a relationship, but they're going to get you into their next bid, right? It's just a longer sales cycle in our industry. The upside is once you get them, you can do business with them continuously, indefinitely, hopefully. But the reality is, is it's going to take longer than it has during the pandemic. Expect that and you won't be as frustrated.
0: Yeah. Also, uh, expectation management, to add to that, you can't, there's no shortcut to getting through those first like 500 calls or whatever it's going to take you before you start getting better on the phone. You just have to do it. And don't be afraid to call it what you might think is a good lead because you're not ready for them yet, because they're not if you if you fumble on the phone or you sound like an idiot, they're not gonna remember you when that call lasted nice. twenty seconds or they hung up on you after ten seconds or whatever. You can call them back. Call back down the road. There is like
1: zero cost or risk to screw ups because again, they're doing their own thing. They're worried about their own jobs, their own problems, their own families, their own issues. They're not going to remember the 30 second phone call where you called and like stumbled through your words a day from now. They're not even going to remember. In fact, we used to do this when we would call leads like at the bigger company and be like, if we really screwed up a call. Just the tesis would be like, all right, I'm going to call in the next day just to see if they would remember, and they almost never remembered, even the next day. So again, if you give something a week or two, the likelihood that they're even going to remember this is slim to none.
0: Yeah, I mean, dude, people's memories is funny. I've I've had people schedule a call with me, and then I call them, they're like, "Who's this again?" I'm like, "You you booked this with me?" Yeah, like I don't say that, but like I'm thinking that in my head. So yeah, mm-hmm. we all got a lot going on, right? So it can it can be easy to let things slip or forget something. Um, any last thoughts on this before we head into our Q and a for the day?
1: I mean, I think we covered, you know, where to find them, you know, the basics and the fundamentals on how to build your pipeline, because that is how you close customers. Everybody thinks closing a customer is coming up with some magic sentence to get somebody to say yes. And the reality is, is it takes trust and rapport and think of all the people in your life that you have trust and rapport with. It did not happen overnight. It happened over time. And
0: once you get in trust and rapport and they become a customer, then they could be a, a referral generator for you and, you know, yep, refer you to their vendors, their suppliers, some of their friends that work in the industry in a similar space as well. So, well, good stuff. We got a couple of questions today, but first, I have a, I'm gonna give a shout out to our friends over at Lean. Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions with offices in South America, including freight broker back office operations, accounting technology development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions that Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, visit them on the web at www.leangroup.com. Our first question. What, uh, I'm gonna answer the second question first because I think it's a repeat. Can I be an agent from overseas? Uh, Short answer, yes. Yes. Realistic answer. Uh, It has become increasingly difficult for folks that are in different countries to, to get a good agent position in the US. Um, I've got some friends that work at some of the bigger agent-based companies in the country, and they're starting to say like, we're not taking anyone outside of uh, US, Mexico, or Canada for a variety of reasons. Um, I'm not telling you can't do it because you can, but some of, the, some of the issues that we've seen as um, VPN conflicts, um poor reliability of response time because they're on they're on a different in a different time zone um not having a the ability to legally sign a US contract cuz you don't have a social security number or a tax ID and there's all there's all kinds of reasons but I personally have agents that are not in the US and it's they're great they're you know these are people that are they're good they're responsive they there's no technology conflict for the most part. And if there is, we've been able to handle it. Um, and it, you know, it doesn't really matter where you live. It's if you're passionate about this industry and you do a good job and you're respectful, you can live in Europe or South America or I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, so yes, you can definitely be an agent outside of the U S but I, I, have, there's been a lot of pushback from some of the bigger agent-based companies saying, yeah, know, we don't, we're going to try to avoid that if we can. Um, It's also really hard to, like, I don't know, one of the things that I love to do with, like, a big agency is have some kind of, like, in-person interaction with them. And it's really hard to do with someone that lives, you know, a a (laughs) 10-hour flight away. Um, But, you know, it is what it is. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, the same as yours. I mean, we work with I have a lot of clients that are overseas. Um, it's definitely doable. There's a lot of people that do it well, but it's just like anything else. There are definitely some more risks. It's just because they're outside of the U.S. jurisdiction. Right. So, again, you also see and again, as a generalization, there are tend to be some unethical, you know, freight brokers that operate overseas. And a lot of them I've seen even in the past year. Um Didn't even know they were doing things unethically. They were just trained poorly by somebody else. And again, like that's not to say that like just because it's more prevalent overseas or that it's harder to enforce things that it can't be done. I think it can. I think it can be done well. We work with a lot of clients and a lot of brokerages that have a lot of their staff overseas.
0: Yeah, I like. I'll tell you from personal experience, I've had like I don't care where where somebody's located, but I don't like being lied to about it. So like I ha- I've had someone that said um, I'm in Chicago, right? And they, uh, you know, they they onboard as an LLC from Illinois, and then next thing you know, you run into VPN conflict issues, and they lied. They're not really in Chicago; they're in Pakistan mm-hmm. or India. And it's like I made the, you know we talked about this. I asked you up front so we can get ahead of this, and now I'm uncovering that you lied to me. It puts a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I had the same thing happen recently with uh, guys and he's in Texas, he said, and then excited. I talked through some of the technology things and, um, you know, comes back to me a week later and says, well, sometimes I travel to Africa and I'm like, Oh, okay. And he's like, actually, that's my, uh, that's, that's where I'm from. I'm from there. He's like, I, but I'm in Texas sometimes. And I'm like, well, okay. You know, at least that one was honest with me before, yeah. you know, right. me having to find out he was lying. But yeah, I think it's just a dissent. I, I mean, I've had people that gave a fake name and then, you know, you quickly realize that they're lying about that. And it's a lot of times it's like employees or sub agents, not the actual contract signing agent. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just an ethical thing. But hey, capabilities wise, it doesn't matter where you're located. You could be really good at freight brokerage. There's a, like, yep. for example... Eastern Europe has a lot of uh, support teams that work with a lot of U.S.-based brokerages. Um, Columbia, obviously, Lean has a massive presence there. There's a lot of quality talent in that area that, that works in that space. So, yes, you can be an agent from overseas. It's a little bit harder to become a licensed brokerage. you got to establish a U.S.-based LLC and get a tax ID, and uh, but it's doable, still doable. All right, our second and last question here is what insurance do I need to start in the heavy haul brokerage business? Well, it's not really any different. than If acting as a freight broker, your insurance doesn't really necessarily change, your requirements don't, your customers might have different requirements though. They might have different contractual requirements. They might want you to waive um, certain things, like waiver of subrogation. Uh, and the carriers you're going to be working with will likely have way higher requirements as well you know permits to haul things and higher insurance the the dollar value of the the actual freight that they're hauling whether it's a backhoe or a you know a, a massive generator or something like that um you know they're going to have higher requirements but as a, as a broker there's really no additional legal requirement for insurance that you need to have it's just going to be you're going to find yourself being forced to get additional insurance from your customers so um, Same thing with, like, you know, hazmat. Like, carriers have, a, uh, like, a much higher liability um, requirement for insurance. And then also, in addition to that, there's, like, you – I think you brought up last, week like the spill, like, sp- the cleanup.
1: Yeah, cleanup around. on hazmat and some of those things, yeah. Um,
0: Same thing with, like, uh, non-owned equipment. So, like, trailer interchange, if someone's moving – someone else's trailer or if you're moving brand new trailers or stuff like that, repositioning stuff, you don't have to Mm -hmm. have anything, but, you know, people will put, brokers are smart to put a trailer interchange agreement in place and the carrier should have trailer interchange insurance. So there's like those like little nuances like that. So yeah, you have definitely have more requirement to have knowledge and be able to be effective in that space, but not necessarily any legal, legal insurance insurance. requirements to, to broker that. Yep. So, well, good stuff, man. Good episode.
1: Yeah, there was a lot going all day
0: long, but I learned today that apparently the attention span of the of the uh, American population is fifteen to thirty seconds now.
1: Is, is that blow your mind? <laughs> yes, yes, kind of, but not really. To be honest, referring to like
0: TikTok videos and all that, why they're so short. So, thanks to all of you that listen to us for almost an hour once a week. <laughs> uh, Fair enough, man. Cool I know we're gonna have. Um, we was talking with Lean. We're gonna have an episode coming up with uh, a guest from them or one of their uh, someone recommended by them. It should be I'm thinking of the next month, and then definitely some produce and Blue Book talk coming up here. So I think two weeks from now we'll have our first. Uh, Greg from Blue Book Services will be joining us to talk.
1: You know, produce. I, I high think that's gonna and, be exciting. Yeah, yeah. I'm super. I think fun. we're gonna be doing questions. like a series. Yeah, we're going to be doing a, a whole series with Blue Book, and I think all oh, that's going to be really good. We get asked a lot about on, you know, what pros, what you know, what customers, what shippers, the prospect, what's higher margin, what's high claim. We're going to be covering all of the ins and outs of that over the next quarter, actually through the rest of this year. So that's going to be pretty good. Um, yep. That's about it, man. I did hear something interesting the other day, and it, it really stuck with me. It said it was another business podcast, but it said most people think they need more intensity to make more money. But the reality is they need more consistency. And I think that really rings true for our topic today, right? Like how to find shippers and close more of them. I think a lot of people go at this where they're like, well, I'm just going to call like 120 people today and really go at it. The reality is, is you'd be much better served to pick a number you're going to achieve and hit it every day and to incrementally increase it. Because we talk about this often, but like I've literally only met one person in my entire involvement with freight brokerage that made the calls every day and didn't succeed. And they went on to literally be one of the most successful people in another sales industry. They just didn't happen to be a fit for the transportation side, but I've almost never seen it happen. I mean, yeah. and again, so if you're it's not where you're at... Funny. Look at what you're doing consistently. Look at what your average calls are per week. If you're not averaging 60 to 70 calls per day, four days a week, and you're new in the first six months to a year of this, if you're not putting up four to 5K a week in gross profit, that's what's missing. That's how you get more customers. That's how you're going to grow your book. And for everybody out there, even if you were killing it during the pandemic, the amount of loads probably going through your brokerage right now is probably less than it was six months ago. And why is that? Because less loads are hitting the spot market. There were about 30% of the whole market hitting the spot market. Now you're seeing like 7 to 10% of that, depending on which commodities you're in, right? So again, less loads are hitting the spot market. Less loads are available to be brokered. So you've got to build better relationships and deeper relationships and differentiate yourself from other brokers to succeed in this market. And there's no reason you shouldn't if you're putting the effort and you're doing it consistently.
0: Yep, yep I agree. It also just dawned on me that this will be the last recording before the Bills game Thursday night next week, so I got to make my predictions, man. I've been waiting, I've been waiting like six months to make yeah. a prediction here. So, Buffalo Bills at L.A. Rams Thursday, September eighth at eight twenty p.m. Eastern time. That would be five twenty for all you West Coasters. Bills are current spread. The pick is uh, Bills to cover a two negative two and a half. So it's expected to win by three. Uh, or more the over-unders at 53 I'm going to call this a high scoring game I would take the over on 53 and I'm taking Buffalo not just to win but to cover that two and a half point spread I think the Bills win it by like six or seven to upset the reigning Super Bowl champs and to tell them look who's look who's the new uh the new big boys on the block here so I'm I'm taking the Bills by I'm gonna take them by six Bills by six so let me know what you think Send me all that hate We shall see. (laughs) All right. What else you got to wrap it up here?
1: Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360.
0: Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes,
1: videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.